teaching for tomorrow in the climate of today. Inspiring educators globally. Never stop learning. Never stop growing. The best teachers teach from the heart. Welcome to Powerful Pedagogy. Powerful, powerful, Welcome to this episode of The Powerful Pedagogy. Today we have with us a woman who is near and dear to my heart, Barbara Burrington. Welcome, Barbara. She's a phenomenal educational mentor who has worked with teachers. She's known me since I was much younger in my practice and really has helped to guide me in, you know, just sort of the ways that I think around my practice and what I do in the classroom and has inspired me so much with her own just sort of passion for the classroom and, you know, her passion for children and just seeing them as capable and seeing them as, you know, individuals with the rights. So I just know that she's going to impart so much information to you all. So welcome, Barbara. I'm so happy to have you with us. I'm so honored to be here as you're launching this new aspect of yourself in your career. Very needed. Absolutely. Now, Barbie, really just tell tell the people really quickly, where are you recording from? Where are you sitting? What is that little circle window behind you? (laughs) I am sitting in the main salon of our our 32-foot tugboat named Irene that my husband and I just finished a 7,000-mile circumnavigation of the American waterways from Florida all the way up through the Great Lakes and then back down through the rivers. I'm sitting in the Keys right now in Florida, getting ready to launch ourselves back up to Vermont. And I sat in this little space to mentor teachers and administrators, especially administrators, throughout COVID because we we decided to live on the boat at that point. So, well, I I first of all, can I just say like that right now you're kind of living the dream, and I I can't imagine, or I mean, I don't know if it was an easy decision or was hard, challenging, but to literally sort of pick up and leave, get on a boat, decide to live for like the next year or so. Was that an easy decision for you or was it like second nature? Like it just was like you were ready for it. So we were getting our ducks in a row to do something like that in the future. And then in the spring or around February, when COVID hit, the laboratory school at at the University of Vermont, where I was the interim director and I was teaching in the early childhood programs, went 100% remote. And by April, it was clear that the university had no intention to reopen the laboratory school. And at that point, it was a somewhat traumatic year. I'm not downplay that, but you know, it it was hard ensued. And that really sealed the deal for us. It really solidified the fact that here's an opportunity. The universe is saying like, you can remotely do something from your home in Vermont or on a boat somewhere and you can go and and do the American great loop and you can live on the boat and you can have sovereignty and, you know, the freedom to uh, travel and see the world and meet new people. So that's what, that, that's how the decision got made. It was, it just was sort of like divine intervention. It was unfortunate. It's still unfortunate about the school. We can talk about that too, but that's where a lot of my theories were co-created 
with teachers. And that's how you and I came to know each other through a grant that supported me to go to your school. Yeah. And that's been a a huge aspect of my life at work, my teacher education projects uh, for over almost 30 years. Wow. I know you've been in the game for a while, a really long time. And I feel like, you know, you're you know, between me and, and just, you know, our mutual friends that we know, you're kind of the teacher mom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel the questions I, and, I, and I love it. It's such an honor to watch teachers grow in their practice, you know, and in their personhood and see, you know, see, see them stay in the, see them stay in the field and make changes. Absolutely. So I guess I, what I would love for you to share with people, there might be some new teachers listening to this, or there might be more seasoned teachers that maybe feel, you know, a little bit burned out with everything that's going on. What are just like when you're going in to mentor somebody, when you're thinking about like when you're starting, What are just some of the things that, what are some of the questions that you ask them? Like, what is, how do you sort of, sort of test the climate or figure out where they are and what they need at that moment? I sort of practice what I preach. I like to observe teachers. I like to ask them what what it is that they'd like to share with me, what what their about their practice. So I'll use I'll use you as an example. When I got, went to your school and I had the responsibility of of connecting with you, you know, I watched you and then we talked, right? And then it was like share with me what's going on, what are your questions? And as you sort of connect to a person at a at a at a heart level, you know, and they trust you, you've got some trust and give them some feedback about what you see and ask questions, then, you know, the, 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 those more quiet conversations can start to emerge. As a mentor, teachers really have to trust that I'm not going to be highly reactive. So I'm not going to go to their administrator and say, wow, she's struggling or, you know, she said this, but never do that. Right. So you've really got to have that trust. And a lot of teachers, the modality that they really want to talk through might be, the phone. They may not, they may want to email with me. They want to do things in writing. So I really just try to figure out for each person, you know, how, how do you connect best? How do you like to have feedback? Do you, do you, I've had teachers that just want me to do running records because they're overwhelmed. They don't have a sense of their own presence. Some teachers are really good with videotaping. Others are like, please don't, I don't want to see myself. So it's really about having a big toolkit and then connecting to the teacher where they want to be. I've been also in some schools and districts where they have a program that they want to use. I'm anti-program. Let's put it that way. And Really? Tell me about why are you anti-program or what do you feel like it doesn't do? Yeah. Like what is it missing? So I think what it does is it just programming. Let's talk about programming in general, right? So from the moment the child is born, we start with the programming, you know, we start with the nouns, we start naming things, we start telling them they, they have an X number of emotions and they look like this on your face. And, you know, they're just programming. We do it with teachers. Here's the programs, here's the standards. And really the, in the programs for mentoring can look, can look like here's a form to fill out, you know, and, I, and what the program does is it, it, limit, it limits, it repeats that history that's not rich, that's not heartfelt, that's not, it's not teacher-based, right? It doesn't, it's not coming from the practitioner. So what I try to do and what I have always done in teacher education, and I think we did really well at the University of Vermont for years, was 
to unprogram people and to unplug them from the programs and to say, okay, if these are, if there are certain parts of the program that are aspects of a program that you are responsible and beholden to and accountable for, that's fine. But that's a low bar because what's going to keep you in the game, what's going to keep you joyful, what's going to keep you energized is outside the program. It's, it's your own creativity. It's your own passion. It's your imagination. It's your relationships. And that, that's why I'm outside the program. So I, when people ask me to use different forms, of course I would do that, but in my own way. And so even as we were evaluating, I was a superintendent for several years at the end of my public school career, which my career was bookended by UVM, right? 18 years in the front and three on the back. And I became a principal and a superintendent. And as a superintendent, I worked really hard with my teachers association, teacher leaders, principals to, do, to take the standard in the field, which is a teacher evaluation system based on observation and evidence and turning it around. So is the teacher bringing the evidence, the teacher asking for you to see them, ah, see me, hear me as okay. I, as I am, not as you found me at, you know, the time you signed up for. So we worked really hard at that. So that's why I say that it's a long answer to your, to your question. I mean, well, that's a game changer. Just the idea of having that control. I could think of many times, like just as a, you know, just a new teacher being observed, just that nervousness that you feel, like you said, because they're sort of coming in at a time when it's like, you don't know what's going to go happen. Instead of giving, you know, a teacher the choice to, you know, present, like, I would love for you to see this. I would love for you to watch this and and give me feedback, you know, on, on this project I'm working on or this sort of est- investigation that we're exploring. I mean, that would be a game see changer. See me in real yeah. time. See me all the time. You know, know who I am, know what my practice is. Do not boil me down to several 30-minute or hour-long observations, right? And that's why I say I'm, I'm sort of anti-program. Wow. All right. So this is might be an easy question for you, but what are some of the qualities that you think are most important in a new teacher? Curiosity, a real desire to feel a sense of joy in their work, to feel like to recognize the importance. I love for teachers to be able to see that they're part of something really big. And at the same time, understand the importance of connecting to every single child, know that that child comes from a family and that they're like cutting their heart out to send it to you every day. So you see the importance of the family. Yeah, just, just really be, in the, be awake in the game, be present. And so the, la- the last course I taught was a, an immersion course in literacy uh, across the curriculum. And I had, I think, 18 students and they were you know, out in classrooms at the beginning of the pandemic. And the, they were seeing a lot of things that were challenging. And it made, it, it brought that question up, like, can I do this? Can I be in a place where, you know, children have to wear masks or where, you know, there's mats on the floor instead of tables for them to use their body to try to write and things. And it was, and it was really just about continuing to bring the conversation back to, you can do anything if you put your mind and your heart to it and think about it. Right. And really important also just to, to go back to the question, it, to be positive, to be the most positive person in the school, not like sugar and, you know, right. Right. Sweet, right. But, 
right? Not 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 crazy right. positive. Positive, like to recognize how important it is to to always be sort of bringing your 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 best self, even if that's a questioning self, even if that's a critical self, even if that's a person that mm. you know is an advocate, is a is an anthropologist, whatever it is that you're bringing, bring your whole self yeah. to it. Don't be that person that that speaks in, in only negative terms or sees only the deficits, sees only the problems, never be that person because, you know, a young, even a young teacher won't last long in a, in, an, in a climate like that. And with a self-concept like that. Right. Has there ever been a time working with like a, like, do you have any like sort of hot buttons? Like when it comes to working with novice teachers, like what behaviors that you see, like you sort of may like, like, mm, I don't know about that. Or, like, uh, we're going to, we have to maybe work on that. What are some of the things that you have seen that just as new teachers, you know, who may be listening to this to think of that maybe haven't been so great? Oh, <laughs> well, when, when, especially when working with, with new and, and young teachers, but also with teachers who have sort of been programmed to use. Or even older, yeah. I was going to say, or even yeah. like teachers yeah. who have like sometimes get set in They're their totally ways yeah. and just can't learn. Yeah. Don't want to learn anything yeah. new. I, the big, I'm going to try to give you the umbrella then we'll go down a little bit, a little closer to the practice, but the umbrella is sort of see the whole p- picture of what you're responsible for, what you're doing, the totality of it. Let's not look at things. Let's not look at the day, a day in the life of your classroom in 30 minute intervals. Let's not look at the work that you do with your students in divided up into domains or divided up into areas of the curriculum. Let's look at the whole thing. Let's look at the culture. Let's look at the culture of your classroom. Let's look at yourself in there. How do you feel when you walk into your classroom? You know, it, or is this a, ro- a room and a space that's arranged for life? Is this a space that's arranged to for vitality? Can you move in here? Or is this like one of the programmed rooms, right? With the, the posters and the bulletin boards and the chairs in such a way, because that's what everybody does. So, you know, you get indoctrinated early into the program of like, it has to look like this. Not true. I mean, years and years ago, I say years and years, well, 20 something years ago, right? When this, the pre-primary schools in Reggio Emilia were taking this sort of American pre-K practice and rattling it, aesthetics was one of the first things that people noticed they were like wow how did you achieve that how did how does that happen and thinking that oh somehow if i switch my aesthetic away from plastic and primary colors to wood and green plants everything will change well we knew you know we know that that's not true but it's a good first step right it was the first step people could make because it was obvious it was physical and it felt right and it felt good so if i'm working with a teacher new, novice, veteran, mature, and they're, and I'm in a position to have a relationship with them to give them feedback. We would have those conversations like, let's walk through your classroom. Let's tell me about this space. How do you feel in here? How's it organized? You know, do all those things to get to know them. But really then to center on the practice would be what I see in my head is kind of a Venn diagram. And it's like a, at the center of it, is relationships. That's the center of everything. So let's put that right up up front that when we're talking about your practice, we're talking about my observations, we're keeping 
we agree that at the center of everything are the relationships you have with children and what, what comes next, what's around that is the environment. That's, that's what, you know, in, in the Italian schools always refer to as the third teacher, the third right teacher. So that's, right. that's right. Yeah. And then here's the other is what you do. What are you actually doing? And so the process is for me is always about observing and getting to know your children. So what do you see? Who are they? What are they passionate about? Not only what can't they do that you hope and have a goal of instilling mm-hmm. or sharing or teaching, but what can they do? And what, what can, can they, they do? do? Exactly. And then really yeah. that cycle of inquiry that Jean Goldhaber from the University of Vermont sort of captured in a chapter in Bambini, a book edited by Leila Gandini about observe, you know, ask questions, put some projections, if you will, or some plans out there, modify your environment, watch again, see what happens and really get into that cycle of inquiry because that, that from there, you're, you're more powerful. You know, you're not waiting for the next lesson plan. You're not looking at the next set of sheets that you need to do or complete. You're really looking at the, the lived experience of children and teachers in the classroom and the, if that's your, if that's sort of the jam that you're having on your toast every morning, like you're not going to get burned right. out in the same way as if you feel like you ha- you're doing all of the have tos and they're not authentic to you, to your practice and heart and in your heart, right? Yeah, I agree, and I feel like you even just gave me like a little tidbit because I think as teachers we do have to sort of periodically, just like you said, walk through our classrooms, look at the different areas. What is this area giving, right? What is it inspiring? You know, is how, you know, and, and even sometimes just rethink, you know, our, our areas, rethink our setups, rethink how we have, you know, materials laid out and maybe what we could do differently, but just sort of always being willing to change and evolve. Like I have found in my practice that that is vital to not being burnt out. You have to be willing to be flexible. You have to be willing to move on with the times. I mean, even this whole COVID pandemic, you know, the students I teach, they're not vaccinated. And so they're the youngest learners and it looked very different. And, you know, it was, I gave an interview for Fairy Dust, but I was talking about how I literally live uh, across the street from a hospital. And so, you know, at one point I was watching them sort of bring these bodies out outside my window. But then every day for four or five hours a day, I would have to switch off what I was seeing and turn on my teacher game and sit there and sing and smile and, you know, be this person for my students. But then the minute I would turn off my computer, it would be back to that. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of teachers now who are sort of just that balancing act that we do, whether it's what you're seeing, whether it's in your personal life, right? You know, we try not to bring our stuff to work. We try to like keep that balance. But I know that, you know, a lot of my colleagues are feeling a little burnt out. You know, they are feeling a little overwhelmed and, you know, some of them have, you know, people that they've lost or, or just, you know, the mat, the mandates, like everything, you know, it's not just one thing. It really is sort of this accumulation of the times, but I guess just sort of what, is there any advice that you would give us, (laughs) you know, just sort of as we navigate 
you know, these next couple of years, you know, even with everything going on and, you know, I know some, some teachers who love teaching are now thinking of leaving the classroom just because. You know, you're, you're bringing up something that this is really a time of, you know, profound fear and sadness and transforming practices, transforming systems, not always for the, the good, right? That, that we may not think that they're in children's or teachers' best interests. So all of these things are happening in our world. There's war, there's refugees, uh, there's so many things that if we look at them, we look at them a lot, whether it's in the news and the media, on social media, across the street from our house and our family, they're going to bring us down, right? They're going to bring our frequency down. They're going to bring, put us into fear and the balance. We have to find a way to stay hopeful, to keep finding joy, whether for, you know, maybe for one person that's taking care of themselves, self-care is essential, right? It's always been, and maybe even more so now, but maybe for one person, it's taking a walk outside every day, being sure to be in nature. For another person, it may be that plus yoga. Somebody else, it may be about their diet, turning off their TV, turning off their screen, prayer. It could be music and dance. I love, like when I'm teaching the undergrads, it's so easy for them in their youth and their, in their, this like super buoyant period of their life to be able to tell me, you know, this is my favorite music, or this is what I love to do, or this is how, how I find joy, or this is, you know, they, they like, they're social and they want to be with their friends. Like they're telling me all those things. It's very important, but also a lot easier to sort of keep them buoyant than it is to work with somebody who's going through something really traumatic or very sad, you know, worked with teachers who've lost their, their partner over the years, or their parents have died, or there's tragedy in their family, or they're going through a divorce. There's lots of things that happen that are super challenging, and they're natural. They're part of life. And how do you get through it and still go into that classroom and do what you need to do? And I think that that, that, that kind of self-care, making sure that you're checking in with yourself, whether it's if you need rest, get rest. If you need nourishment, find the nourishment. If you're if you're not, if you don't have somebody that can really listen to you and be a mirror for you, like find that group, find that person, reach out, like let your peer a peer that you trust know. Let an administrator know if you trust them and think they can be helpful to you. You know, I used to love to, as an administrator, as both a principal and a superintendent, and actually at UVM too, teachers have in, in, you know, in a lot of settings, not all early childhood settings, but many, they have professional development money would be to find ways for teachers to use that, that were outside the norm, because they're so programmed to think, oh, I got to take a three credit course, you know, or I could take an online course. Well, how much money you get the equivalent of, you know, three credits, five credits, six credits, that can be a lot of money. That, you know, we, we managed to get public school pr- kindergarten teachers to Pistoia, Italy, because we just asked, we asked the school board, could you support that $5,000 that's part of their contract to take for them to take this kind take of this time, trip, this which trip. would change their lives, right? Exactly. You know, to go to a different kind of conference to include travel. I think if we could all just continually question the programming 
whatever it is, like, why do we think that? Why is that assumption in place? We'd be so much healthier. You know, you're still going to have the reality of what's outside your window. You're still going to have the reality of the challenge that you're in, but you're giving yourself like whatever you can to help be stronger, more reflective, more present, and to be move, you know, setting your sights on where you're going, not going to forget who you are, but you know, you've got a vision for where you can go. And classroom can do that. The classroom can actually be a great source of inspiration. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think there there's plenty been plenty of times in my teaching career where I have stuff going on, but I literally walk into my room and it's like, ah, I'm here. And you know, I think children have a way of doing that, just sort of, you know, because they 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 need so much love and and attention. Like you just sort of you know, re refocus and, and reprogram. But I think something that you said that, you know, really sort of hit the nail on the head, even for ad administrators, you know, when we are thinking about how we can support teachers in professional development, you know, you said something about thinking outside the box and what does thinking outside the box look like, whether it's, you know, traveling, whether it's self-care, like there are lots of different ways to support teachers right now who may be feeling a little burnt out. And, you know, like you said, maybe that three credit course is not the thing to revitalize them you know, but really sort of thinking outside the box with self-care and how we support our, our teachers. So for those admins, and I know you've been an admin for a little bit, but you also spend a lot of time in the classroom. I know for me, even though I've had opportunities to go to admin, my passion is really in the classroom. I have a feeling like, who knows, maybe down the line that will happen, but I've really fought you know, I've really gone back and forth and like fought to like stay here. But I guess what are some of, you know, things that like admin could be thinking, you know, in sort of supporting their teachers? You know, what what should they sort of just have on their radar as we go forward? Well, I, I want to just cycle back to this thinking outside of the three credit course. I mean, even beyond education. Like what inspires you maybe learning to play an instrument and that is right. Maybe a photography course, right. Like look, look outside the boundaries of what you think is available to, to you because the whole world is really available. And so what the administrator, the best administrators, in my opinion, are the ones who really meet the teacher, right? Sort of where they are and listen to them and, and, so if I have a teacher who, who tells me they're very sad, I'll use a real example. First grade teacher, incredibly sad, going through some big life changes. She's feeling alone. She's got some PTSD. She's got, you know, responsibilities for an elderly parent with some health issues. Like there's lots of reasons that this person should feel stressed or tired. And they're coming into the classroom what do, what do you need? I, you know, I need help with organization. I really need help hitting the ground running. I'm feeling overwhelmed by planning. Oh, you are, let's plan together. Let's, let's connect you to a person who doesn't think about planning as a, you know, a thing you sit down and do for an hour a week, because maybe that practice that you've been doing forever doesn't fit your schema anymore. It doesn't even fit the kind of life in the classroom that you're trying to create. So let's, let's find a, 
let's find another person in this context who who can do this differently and often it was me you know and just to sit down and think differently about your practice can suddenly like lift that burden of i need to fill out a lesson plan or i need to fill out a plan book to i don't have to start there i can end there i can start with with the joy i can start with why oh, when the children walk in this room just like me i want it to be bright and cozy okay let's start there right and then build yeah. <laughs> that as opposed to, you know, what, what activity you're going to have in the writing area or what you're going to do at 11 o'clock. Not always the, not always the most inspiring place to start. So that I think administrators really need to also think outside the context, you know, when I was superintendent, we were applying for a rural County in Vermont up on the New York Canadian border, five islands schools Title I funds come through the federal government and states approve how you spend that money. And we, I would listen to the administrators, I listened to the teachers. We thought of all of the ways that the particular children in our communities and our teachers really felt they could be the most supported, the most joyful, get what they need. And so we submitted our plans and we were soundly shot down. Like, Oh, that's so unusual. You know, we don't we don't want to pay for a person who's coming in to do art with children or read with children. We pay for programs. We pay for reading recovery or we you know these other things. And we had to really just fight, quite frankly, fight in a very organized and intellectual way to say, but we aren't like other schools. This is a little island school. Maybe there's 80 children in it, you know, and they're here for seven or eight years. Like we know what they need and they don't need that. In fact, that model is unaffordable and not sizable for this environment. But the, the I'm going to go back to that word. The programming is so deep that even at the top where the money is coming from, if you want to call it the top, I guess, I, I don't. Now they said no, that yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. that's where the funding is coming from, and there's just one way to do it, or there's the you know X alternatives that work for those children, you know, in suburban white school districts in Burlington or the outside of Burlington, Vermont. They're not working for my kids up here, and they're not. And like somebody's got to say, we welcome all these diverse ideas. We welcome the concept that schools and children are unique that communities are unique wow schools are unique yes and we want them to be why we would all be the same you know i just think we'll we'll never attract the kind of people that we really want to have in the classroom who are you know feeling feeling like i'm part of the culture i'm develop i'm developing culture with children i'm part of this community and that that i want to be it's it's like I belong. Well, when you were when you did like superintendent work, did you work with like principals directly to sort of do away with the ideas of like just sort of breaking out of the the constructs of programming? Like, is that part of like what your work with them was? Absolutely. We, you know, and it's a balance because you've got you know testing protocols and tests in general, things that you need to do. But, you know, how can we do those in a way that supports your school to not be filled with anxiety, to not be filled with dread? What Do we need to have like some mobile 
person personnel that can come and support different schools at different times and sort of cascade the schedule so that, you know, there can be lots of people with healthy food and, you know, supporting you out, children to go outside, whatever it is, how can we support you to do that? And, you know, it comes down to relationships between the superintendent and their principals, but also just really examining all aspects of practice and figuring out, you know, what, what's, what's sustainable, you know, what, what's sustainable, stop looking at the way the constraints of practice or the, the constraints of expectations and start thinking outside the boundaries or the borders of, of that, you know, joy, humor, lightheartedness, beauty, all of those things have a place in the classroom, but they're the first things that go. They are, they are. So, you know, just bringing those back, bringing those back, I think are are so vital. So vital. It's, especially right now. Right? <laughs> like you've now. said so many things that I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Like it, it's, it just, it resonates so much because I think, again, like a lot of teachers like myself are feeling some, you know, just constraints around everything. And, and what does it look like making joy, making, you know, like th- that, that part, the, the, the most important part again, you know, like, yes, we have the constraints. Yes. There's the testing, there's the assessments, there's all of that stuff that we sort of have to get through during the year. But then what does it look like sort of making those benchmarks like a joy, like, like connections, like relationships, you know, and making that the, the focus point again. I think that one of the strategies that I really love is the, is the aspect of, of the practice that many educators in the United States and all over the world, in fact, have sort of honed for their own way of documentation, the practice of documenting your work. And so we made it I'll give you an example. I was mentoring a preschool teacher as after I had gone back to UVM two, two years ago now, I guess two years ago now, two school years ago. And she had to submit student work samples as part of her first year evaluation. And I said, and they were specific, right? This specific ones. And I said, but there's no rule that says you can't submit more. So I want you to submit all of those, some of the beautiful writing you've done for families about the child, the child, the life of the child in the classroom, this series of, um, you know, this group of children drawing together and co-creating like a collage mural where they're right, where they're actually more articulate, their forms that on and their marks on paper are more articulate than what they're asking for over here. Like show the expansiveness of what you do. Documentation has been a really good means, I think, for self-reflection for teachers, but also for for assessment. Yeah, yeah catching more than any one assessment or data point is ever going to give you. Right? It's huge. I mean, I still rely on it for everything, you know. But yeah, but guess what? Wow. Our time is up. Our no time way. is up. No I know way. it goes by quick. Uh, and you know, this is just the first season, but if you're willing, you know, in a couple of months or so, I would love to have you on again because I just feel like there's there's so much wisdom there that you have and just your your compassion, not just your passion for teachers, but your compassion for them. I think really speaks. And I think that's, those are the voices that we sort of need right now 
in our heads. Well, I, I would people. be happy to come back. One of the things I think we, we didn't even get to talk about, though, is, you know, it, to have the kind of administrators that I'm alluding to, we have to support them in a different way. And they're going to need some different. Yes. As a matter of fact, we can. Would you talk a little bit like what does it look like supporting administrators, you know, in ways that they can better support teachers? What, what I, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I, I think the next iteration of my career is going to be to support administrators in the field in their spirit, you know, and some in their divinity and in their understanding that they have the capacity to hold all of these people in sort of a sacred space, if you will, of that school and that it you know, I have, I've had administrators tell me they get sick when they get to the parking lot, that they cry when they get home at night. Like, it's very stressful. It's a lot of responsibility, whether they're doing it beautifully, we don't like the way they're doing it, or there's something that can be improved. It's still a lot of responsibility, and they're holding that in their body. And what I really want to do, and what I've tried to do in the last couple of years with the administrators I work with, is just keep circling around to what are you doing for you and how are you taking care of you? How can we let that go? How much of that's within your control? Let's, let's practice, let's practice a narrative that you can use with powers to be over you so that you can challenge the program that's getting foisted on you and you're going to meet resistance. You should be meeting resistance. It doesn't make sense. Now you've got a problem, right? Let's turn it around. Let's find your voice. Let's open up your throat chakra, you know, really. Right, exactly. Let's, go there. Yeah. let's have those conversations and not be afraid that somebody's going to think you're, you know, too unusual or doing something too outside the norm. Let's make it normal. Let's normalize, if you will, being passionate, being heartfelt and leading with love. Leading with love, but also the self-care aspect, Absolutely. you know, and I think in you, you, what you said is, is sort of the, one of the main reasons why I haven't made that transition to admin is because I know so many admin who, you know, like it, it, it to me, it just seems like it, like it ages them. Yeah. It takes like you away from the pulse. It, it, it yeah, it takes you away from the pulse and it just sort of, there's a draining that I see. You know, there are times when it's like the the joy is not as evident. That's how we created the system. And now we have to look at it and say, is it working? And if it's not, it's on us. It's on us. Nobody's going to come along with magic wand and change it, you know? Honest. You're absolutely right. And so if, if people are looking for, you know, looking to, let's say, hire you for mentorship, are you available? I know you're sailing the seas right now, but I guess um, I, I also do want to let you know that Barbara does have a blog at www.betheship.com where it's, it's, it's delightful. And she really just sort of is sharing her journey on the boat. That's it. And wait, um, the boat's name is, what is it? Irene? Irene. Irene the dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the blog entries is about how, where the name came from. It came from a, of somebody who made my childhood just more heavenly than it would have been without her. My great aunt Irene. But the blog, I took a break while we we're here, sort of get, getting work done on the boat. You might have even heard some of that in the background today, getting ready to sail again. And I'm going to be restarting it 
I tried to write about presence. I think being present and being fully present, finding the ways to slow that heartbeat down and be right where you are so that you can, you know, come to terms with making the world a better place, whether that's the world of your classroom, your home, your relationships, your visions, you know, just be there, be present. And the most amazing thing is like, even just as you're talking, like I see myself in you. Like I see, you know, even when you just was like, slow the heart rate down and just be present. Like, and, and, and that, your mentoring has literally stuck with me to this day. Like I still do those things. I still try to find the joy. I still, some like you said, you know, sometimes things don't fit anymore. Like it's okay to reinvent yourself as a teacher. Like those are things that I still go to even now. And if only everybody was so lucky. But if people do want to reach out to you or if there is a school that is looking for someone for yes. mentoring is how would you, how would you want people to get in contact with you? I would think that emailing me at Barbara at be the ship.com would be the most direct way to get in touch with me. I have set aside time in my week for the past couple of years to mentor in three different environments or three different individuals. And that, that was my capacity while we were at sea. And if we're, if, and when we get back to land and, have a dirt address again, uh, that will all change. <laughs> but in the meantime, that's, that's pretty much my capacity, three environments or three people. And I would be very open to new, new, new people in new environments. Oh my goodness. Well, I know I'm going to be tapping in because uh, this is this, I feel like this conversation spoke to my heart a lot. So thank you. You're welcome. You have a big thank place you. in my heart. I, I'll never forget some of the projects mm-hmm. that I saw unfold in your classroom from Miss Chicky to letter yes. writing to yes. The, yes. The, the blueprint in the yellow pages for the park, the lower. Yes. East remember side. that? Yeah. And, and, and even park. then, like, I feel like my emergent curriculum has really like, just, it just, it, it's the idea for me of emergent curriculum has exploded. Awesome. Like every year it really is something new. And so was it like right before COVID hit, matter mm-hmm. of fact, it was the class that I think we went into quarantine, like we school got shut down. We are, my, my class was obsessed. And I mean, obsessed with the story of the three little pigs. Now there are different versions. There are versions of the three little pigs where the wolf eats every single one of them. And there are versions where they each get away and go to the brother's house. Like there are all these versions. And then there's the version of like the wolf telling the true story about how he wasn't going to let a ham dinner go to waste. So, you know, we, we did all that, you know, we put on a play and, you know, we, 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 re, we reenacted the, the book, but sort of like as a cumulative, sort as we were going to the end of the year, they were so fascinated. I, and so I was thinking like, what could we do to really just like make it happen for these children? And so I found these pigs. I found these pigs like, and I guess like if you have like a party, a birthday party, they'll bring them to your child's birthday party. But so we had pigs, live pigs brought into the classroom and Barbara, I would never do that again. The way that those pigs screamed and squealed. And when I held one, it was so loud and I could see on my students' faces, they were like, oh my goodness. And so even when I was like, does anyone want to hold it friends? And they were like, no. <laughs> that highly Never imagined again. pig is a lot yes. cooler, maybe, than that little 
Exactly. But it was just, it really was like, you know, like the fantasy was amazing. The wolf and the story and the character development, but the real, the pigs in real life were like a whole nother story, but it was amazing. It was amazing to experience. It was an experience that I won't forget. It's still a story I tell, but also (laughs) I think they won't forget it either. Yeah. They brought these three uh, little miniature pigs who were Oh my gosh, like crazy. <laughs> I think that, that would be a great conversation to have in the future is like, what are the next steps when you're going deep and you're going long with a group of children on a topic? Yeah. Like, yeah. What one misstep could be a great story, but maybe there's a different, you know, step. No, that. but I love those missteps. They're like awesome. I know now I will never bring pigs into my <laughs> class. Like I've, the way that I don't know if you've ever heard a pig squeal. Oh, yeah, I have or, or I grew up on a farm. It's so loud. And I didn't know that, you know, growing up in the city, the kids didn't know that. So it really, the sound really like took them back and I could see them. Yes. And so they each, you know, they got to feed the pig, but I can tell that initial, the initial squealing and screaming in our classroom, (laughs) their little eyes were so like, oh my gosh, like this is a lot. You're like, I'm on team wolf now. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but even just that, like just how, you know, everything is, is everything is magical. Even your missteps, even the rethinking, you know, even the, the trying new things, making it happen. So for those children to see you, the teacher, this esteemed being, this beautiful being who's loved them and cared for them and taught them to be like, wow, I had no idea that would happen. That is so healthy and refreshing that like, (laughs) there you go. Put that one in. I was like apologize. I was like, I know this is a lot, friends. I know this is a lot. <laughs> awesome. What a great, what yeah. a great story. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. I love you. I love, I love you, you so much. And I look forward to being in touch very, very, very soon. And I'll be I'll be checking in on your blog. So whenever you're ready to start it back. Oh yeah, April. April? Yeah, we head out of we head out of this marina on April first, back to the ocean and back to the blog. Oh my goodness. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us thank today you. on the powerful pedagogy. Again, I, I, I know you filled my heart, so I'm sure there are others that are also going to be touched by your wisdom and insight. Just wishing you tons of love on this project. Thank you. Powerful, 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 powerful